0: Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week's show features founding member of The Lilacs, Ken Curson. There's some discussion about family issues, college disappointments, working with Richard Lloyd of television, we talk about the value of trade school and EPs, and then there's some bozo serendipity, and then we talk about the new EP by The Lilacs. Go to their website, pick it up, check it out on all the streaming platforms, go to Amazon, wherever you can find it, buy it. Check them out on social media at The Lilacs. Check us out on social media. Instagram and Twitter is at PerformanceANX. Facebook is Performance Anxiety. And go pick up some merch from us while you're at it at performanceanx.threadless.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And enjoy Ken Kerson of the Lilacs.
1: Hey, this is Ken Curson. I'm the singer of The Lilacs from Chicago. We've got a new record, the Lilacs Endure. Uh, out now, and I'm thrilled to be talking about it on Performance Anxiety. Uh, you might get my wife in the background there a little bit. <laughs> Let me make sure she's decent. She's doing a crossword puzzle.
0: No problem.
1: Melody, you, you want to wave to my new friend here? <laughs> Mark, the, Mark, this is Melody. Hey. We're, we're newlyweds, so pardon us if oh. we're a little little gooey after one year.
0: Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. One year, huh? Yep. Oh man, you guys got some catching up to do. I this year, my wife's gonna be eighteen years.
1: Jeez, that's a uh, that's when things went wrong for me oh, no. <laughs> first time around. So
0: <laughs> no, that's when things went wrong for my parents too at eight uh, at ooh. eighteen. So, <laughs> that was, ouch. Yeah. yeah, I think we're gonna make it though. So you're from New New Jersey, New York, New Jersey area. <laughs> You
1: know, I grew up in Chicago, uh, where okay. I went to high school and, and, uh, the, the bands for which I'm best known green and uh, the lilacs, uh, are both, would both consider themselves, uh, Chicago based. I Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so you're Chicago anything mark. you want me to, re- anything you want me to repeat <laughs> or anything I'm happy to, but, uh, you know, you mentioned Mark, your, your, your parents, uh, having gotten divorced. My, my parents split up as well when I was about 14 and my mom always lived in New Jersey. So I moved to New York when I was, uh, 1993. Okay. So I was about 25 and I've lived, uh, in New York and New Jersey ever since.
0: Okay. Okay. I was, and I was basing that off of our earlier conversation. So, uh, it's, uh, you said like, like in the Maplewood area.
1: Yeah. I live okay. in Maplewood. Uh,
0: all right. Yeah. So not, from not,
1: Branchburg. not too far from me. Yeah. yeah. You, you probably had, a hurricane floyd just about knock you out right that's
0: yeah. The one that, uh, <laughs> yeah 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 well i now see i uh, i was in new jersey all right so let's see i was born in texas moved to new jersey virginia virginia back to new jersey uh and then i was in new jersey from about fourth grade until i left for college and i left for college in 91 and then that's when i went up to rochester new york studied at yep. rit for a few RIT. years so-
1: Great yep. school,
0: yeah, yeah. It, it you know, it, I had a weird experience there. It, it wasn't ex- everything. I, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. So it was, it was a very strange experience for me, um, and I wasn't prepared for it. So it kind of threw me for a loop. So,
1: oh. well, I it seems like you're, you're like a creative guy, and I, I, I yes. mean, I, I would think you'd have done fairly well there.
0: Well, I went, I went there in the hopes that, and, and maybe this is my naivete, especially at the time, uh, of, of thinking it was a very open place for sharing ideas. And the teachers there, the professors did a great job of showing us how to do things and, and, and explaining how things work. But it was also, among the students, hyper-competitive, huh. which... I wasn't prepared for in, in cause in, in my school, I, I was a photographer, you know, there were really weren't anybody else interested in it or doing it. So I, I did it all. And so when I got up there, I was used to sharing ideas and, and telling people, you know, how I did things and what, and what we would do is we would have, uh, classes in, uh, in studio work and in location work and dark room back in the dark room days. And, um, uh, Then we would have critiques for every project that we had, and you'd pick with your teacher, your your professor, three or four photos to put up on the wall, and then the class would critique them. I I wasn't wasn't prepared for that because I took my work way too personally at the time, and then when I did find some work from a classmate that I really thought was excellent and I wanted to know how they did it, they were not Open to sharing at all?
1: <laughs> like all the, Yeah, like yeah.
0: Hey, I figured out how to do this. It it got me an A. You got to figure out how to do it on your own.
1: <sighs> you know, it's strange to me because the, the first part, I I think is uh, you know it can be unpleasant, but I think it's it's justifiable that you know this this sort of everyone puts their stuff out there. I, I liken it to writing workshops I've been in, but the second part's just terrible. People have to be generous with their their time, their, their, uh, praise and everything yeah. else or else. What's the point? The whole point of getting people together in the same place to learn is that you, you benefit from the proximity to, to other people. If you're just, if they're just there to, to a hurt your feelings and b not, not uplift your technique. what What's the point?
0: Exactly. And part of it, honestly, like I said, was, was being 18 year old kid, always being told how awesome your stuff was not being prepared for criticism. And the other part may have, you know, my naivete in, in thinking that it was going to be an open sharing of ideas and not that, you know, people are competing for grades and, and, and eventually for jobs and, you know, not, not really realizing that point of view when I got there. So it's, I've learned a lot. I learned a lot there. I've learned a lot since then. And I mean, I, I did... I'm lucky enough to have been a professional photographer for a decade or more. And uh, even though I don't do it professionally now, I still like love going out and taking shots. And one of the cool things about doing this show is that I've met a lot of awesome people who, when they tour around this area, they'll hit me up and say, hey, we're going to be in at the nine 30 club. Or we're going to be at this little bar. Why don't you come on? I'll give you a media pass and, and take some shots.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely do that. So the Lilacs wind, uh, wind up playing at the 930, which is legendary. I played yes. there with Green before. Or, you know, when we used to come through Baltimore, it was the 8 by 10 Club. I don't know if you uh, remember that
0: place. No, I don't remember that. Sort of
1: a, a late 80s place. I remember playing there with Scruffy the Cat and uh, the <laughs> Neighborhoods.
0: Uh, oh, my gosh.
1: So, yeah, uh, great, great club.
0: There's still um, a lot of I, great I, clubs in the area, too. It's, it's it's really, really a good spot for, for you know, mid sized live venues.
1: I actually really loved your photography, Mark. I, you know, I I, I had no idea that's something you pursued. I, you know, I listened to a couple of your podcasts just so I could sort of walk in understanding a little bit about your style. Right. Um, But the photography was a revelation to me. I I think uh, we'd be lucky to have you, have you shoot us sometime before in the area.
0: That, that means the world to me. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. But let's talk about you guys. Ken, you are a original member of the lilacs and I want to know a little bit about how you formed the band. I mean, because you were in, like you mentioned, another band before that called Green. How did the Lilacs so, form, I guess? What, what was the genesis of that?
1: So uh, I was in Green um, from literally about two weeks after I graduated high school in uh, summer of 1986 until uh, um, the very beginning of 1991. Okay. And, uh, you know, you mentioned for in your own past struggled a little bit uh, once you got to college, and it wasn't what you expected. Uh, for me, I didn't I didn't go to college, um, so you know I got to be 22 ish years old, and I was really hungry to start experiencing not only what my friends had experienced uh, with college, but also you know I, I always felt like I had to uh, better myself. You know, on on the road when when the other guys in green, um, uh, you know, we played 200. Plus shows a year, we're we're a popular band and touring around the world. But when the other guys would would be having fun, I'd be you know reading Madame Bovary or trying to you know <laughs> literally do math textbooks just because I felt like I was falling behind all my peers. You know, uh, and and uh, my my hope and goal and ambition was to become a rock and roll star. But I realized that's a long shot in any case. And yeah, um, so I really wanted to try college. So um, I I uh, I left green, um, you know, still loving the band, still very close to them to this day. But, uh, I, I really missed rock and roll. Um, and so I wanted to form my own band. I, I was sort of, you know, I was the bass player in green and, and it, it had a uh, legendary singer songwriter guy named Jeff Lesher, um, who at least around the Chicago area, everybody knows and, and, uh, reveres, right. but I wanted to try my own thing. And so, um, a good friend of mine was a a guy doing a power pop band called material issue.
0: Ah, I'm very uh, familiar with material issue. Yes.
1: Great. Well, the leader of that band uh, was one of my closest friends, a guy called Jim Ellison. And he said, uh, I'll, I'll imitate his Chicago accent for you a little bit. So he goes, I got a great name for your band. You got to call yourselves the lilacs. So I was like, Whoa, what a great name. So he named us the lilacs. And then he was extremely generous with us when we were getting started too. uh, he he produced our first record, The Lilacs Love You, and uh, he even sort of, you know, donated the studio time. They were recording, Material Issue was recording some demos for the follow-up to their hit uh, first album. You know, they were signed to a major label, Mercury, yeah. so he take, took out all this time to produce us and donate studio time to us. Wow. Um, and, and that's really why I founded The Lilacs, so that, so that I could have, you know, my own band where I could be the singer and write most of the songs. Okay. And, uh, I formed it with uh, uh, a bunch of high school friends our original drummer John Paquel is one of my my you know closest pals my whole life um, in fact when he went back to college himself we replaced him with a different guy from my high school art Kim and the other the other guy in the lilacs the other songwriter and singer is a guy called David Levinsky who you know was another high school friend so I really wanted to be a band of brothers and not just you know mercenaries who happen to be great at their instruments
0: okay well that makes sense and I can totally understand your feelings of of falling behind since you didn't, you didn't go. I, I, when I was in RIT, I ended up leaving early and not finishing my degree. Then 15 years later, going back and finishing, uh, getting a, you know, a a bachelor of science online, which, you know, hasn't really helped me all that much in in (laughs) what I do at this point. But, uh, you know, I, I felt that same, had that same feeling of missing out on, on, yeah. and not, not having that accomplishment that people are looking for that, that, whether you need it or not, people are looking for it.
1: Well, I, I admire you even for finishing. Cause I, I never did. I matriculated at the U of Chicago and I went two years and I loved it. But, uh, first of all, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Um, and secondly, you know, by by the time I did two years there, I was 25 years old. I was dying to get started with my life. And I just, uh, Basically, on a whim, I drove from Chicago to New York um, to wow. become, you know, find my find my living as a writer, um, always intending to go back to college and finish a degree. But uh, happily, um, I've made a, a good career as a writer and, uh, you know, I never felt the I never had the time or really felt the inclination to go finish up college. So I, I remain a college dropout to this, <laughs> to this day.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, like I said, I, I think in this day and age, it's it's. Not always necessary. It's it's not as uh, it's not as pressing a need as it as it used to be. does it, it doesn't maybe it doesn't hold as much weight as it does. I think things like trade schools are so underrated at this oh, I point. I
1: agree totally. And apprenticeships, yes. and all, all kinds of ways of doing things. You know, the college degree thing, it it probably matters for your very first job, but once you've once you've had that job, everyone's interested in what you did at your last job, not how you did in college. So, exactly. you know, I've, I've written five books. I've written countless newspaper articles and magazine articles for the best regarded places in, in the world. You know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Esquire, et cetera. Um, and no, nobody cares that, that I didn't finish college.
0: Nobody, I, nobody even asks, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. the lilacs. You were named the Lilac. You were christened the Lilacs. Was there any reason, did did Jim ever give you a reason why he liked that name or why he thought it was fitting for you guys?
1: You know, he he never really spelled it out, but I think what was happening is that there were a couple bands then, like the Posies, that were kind of... Oh, yeah. uh, And and you can maybe even count Guns N' Roses in in that (laughs) sort of general uh, (laughs) named-after-flowers mix. Um, So I I think that, you know, Jim was a very... uh, strategic guy about the music business this is a guy you know in chicago the indie rock thing was to pretend you didn't care about success so even as all these bands all around us were getting signed material issue and smashing pumpkins and urge overkill uh liz fair even uh amid you know a lot of successful bands kind of coming out of that scene the big thing was you had to walk around wicker park and pretend you didn't care so God, Jim yes. was not into that at all. He was totally about his career. He had it all mapped out. He wanted to like draw, drive a cool car and drive, a, you know, wear a cool leather jacket. So people <laughs> would know what a success he was. <laughs> and so, you know, when he, when he came up with the lilacs, I think he was thinking, well, this is working for a lot of bands. We've got bands, you know, who are getting to be fairly big by doing that. You should do it too. I completely identify with that. I, I get it. You know, I wanted to be a success also.
0: That, hey, I mean, that makes, that makes complete sense. Now, did you guys you you formed in the late '80s, but your first EP didn't come out until '91? Uh, was there a lot of just grind in there, and a lot of touring, or any any uh, was there much studio time until the the EP came out?
1: You know, um, we we went to the studio to record our first uh, EP, and um, there was a delay. I, you know. Fades. You know, it's, it's probably 27, 28 years ago. So I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was really in no hurry because, um, you know, at this point, like I said, I was going to college and um, we were we were I wanted to become a really good band. So one of my frustrations with with Green when I had been in Green is that we had tremendous buzz. I mean, Jeff is, is uh, I would say after Curtis Mayfield, the greatest singer I ever knew who came from Chicago. Um, and one of the greatest songwriters. Um, so uh, our records were almost universally praised, um, beloved by critics, but we'd we'd go and do these important showcases in New York or Los Angeles where some important record label was going to come see us. and we just were not a, a a powerful live band. We were not a you know a, we were not a tight live band. okay. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll take whatever share of blame is mine for that. I you know I was not as good at bass as I probably should have been. So with the Lilacs, uh, especially since we were, we were friends first and not, you know, studio musicians or something, I really wanted to get, get good. And uh, we practiced a lot and rehearsed a lot. And I was in no real hurry to release stuff. So, yeah, there was a little bit of a lag. But once we started putting stuff out, we, we started putting stuff out pretty quickly.
0: And at that time, and, and I don't know if this is – maybe it's coming back around to this, but bands were putting out EPs at, at first. And, and I liked that idea. You know, it, it, two to four songs before they came out with a full length, and and, and I, there's a while there where it, it just it, that wasn't happening at all. I mean, bands were just putting out album after album, and it was and it was, you know, maybe not as high quality, but but they're just, just being pushed to put out stuff.
1: You're so right. Now in the iTunes era, you know, it's really all about the single. But you're totally right when when especially when grunge happened. There was like this real feeling you have to have like a a depth uh you know a, a really sustained album to be taken seriously yeah and the lilacs as a as a pop band where our our entire concept was to to be unashamedly um poppy i i loved singles we we put out uh of the, our four releases um three were seven inches yeah. and the you know, the reason we're talking now because of the, the new uh, first Lilacs record in 25 years, that's a four song release. And it's, it's a perfect format for me. If we had six songs that were great, I would have done six. If we only had two, two would have been fine. But at this point in my life where we're not doing this for uh, you know, to try and make a living, <laughs> right. I, I just want to put out the best songs we have. And we have four really great songs. I'm really proud of them. You know, it was the honor of a lifetime to record with Richard Lloyd producing. Who, by uh, the way, really thrilled. This is getting out. Who,
0: who, by the way, is a former guest on this podcast? So,
1: oh no, kidding! I, I looked yeah. through the whole. Uh, I must have missed that episode. I looked through like the last forty. Yeah, he you know,
0: was he it. he was fairly early on. I've I've released fifty one or fifty two at this point, and uh, so he, yeah, he was fairly early on. That was a weird interview. He's a weird dude.
1: He's an exceptionally strange, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I will use the pretentious phrase, he is sui generis. He is, yes. he is one of a kind. Um, <laughs> we really enjoyed working with him, and I learned a ton. But yes, a, a definitely uh, unique character.
0: I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown of, of how the interview went, because it, it, my interviews last anywhere from 30 minutes to like two and a half hours. So I, I mentioned this to him. I, sent him, I gave him the uh, link to the show so he could check it out and uh we get on and he's first of all he's i'm trying to i like video if possible because if we can see each other it lessens the chances of us talking over each other i can see when somebody's about to say something or and vice versa he gets on gets on video for about 10 seconds He goes, oh, we don't need that click just audio <laughs> only. Like, okay no problem no problem i'm, I'm fine with that I've done, when i when i had trey gunn on the phone was on video, but it was in his lap the entire time. So I, I got a, like ninety minutes of Trey Gunn's crotch. So, <laughs> but when we so Richard turned off the video, then we're, we're talking and we we go through his childhood um, stories about him blowing up a Chinese laundry, um, yep. all these crazy things that happened, and we get to the television era of his career, and he's like, "I gotta, I gotta go, go in a few minutes. Just to let you know." <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's skip over television because that's pretty well documented tell me about working with matthew sweet <laughs> so it, it was just it was a very strange interview we, we well, totally I, bypassed you know, his biggest band that sounds nuts
1: to me but i i gotta tell you that if you're if you're really dying to fill it in uh fill in the gaps I, i'm like an addicted uh Reader of rock memoirs, and uh his is really good. Oh,
0: everything um, is combustible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good. It goes through the stories you just mentioned, but the television stuff. And the good thing about Richard is he, he's he's still pretty angry about a lot of the stuff. You know, <laughs> really sometimes is. when you you read these memoirs and you're dying to read, you know, the the, the dirty angry stuff. Like you know, Keith Richards just brutalizes Mick Jagger. Yes, uh, I read and that one. And, and um, I just I just saw the Rolling Stones for the very first time on Monday. And uh-huh. they, they, they have such chemistry on stage. And to me, it only was enhanced by the knowledge that of how painful it's been between them at, at times. Yeah. Um, so, and that doesn't mean they're faking on stage. It means people are complicated and you know, anybody who's been, you've said you've been married 18 years, I've been divorced, you know, anybody who's had a long marriage knows that there are times you absolutely love the person and want to, you know, want to kill them at the yeah. exact same time. So, yeah. um, so what I loved about Richard's memoir is uh, he's, he's kind of still uh, holding a grudge against <laughs> <you> know, Tom. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it's, it's really um, – I, I love that. So uh, it is, And he's, he's just incredibly honest and has this unbelievable memory. So it's a shame he didn't detail that for you on he, uh, your podcast. He
0: kind of did about not, – not necessarily the television years, but his memory was on full display because he told me he remembered being born.
1: Yeah, he he has said that in his memoir too. It just seems impossible it to me. know?
0: It's yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, I can barely remember what I did last week, so I, you know.
1: Well, I I will tell you about Richard Lloyd that one of the one of the reasons he agreed to produce our record. And I I was scared to ask him, quite frankly, because his his music is so ambitious and he's such a a complex guitar player and uh our music is just much more straightforward and and uh, you know, simple. Um uh so one of the reasons I was nervous to approach him is is that I thought he would sort of look down his nose at what we're trying to do. Right. Um, but I, he and I know a lot of people in common uh, in, you know, uh, I live in the East Village and um, sort of he's still well loved in that scene. So the reason I believe Richard's memory is as accurate as it is, is because all these people and I say, hey, you know, Richard Lloyd, they tell me these phenomenal stories about sometime they, they met him. So later when I got to talking with him before, you know, well, well, I was asking him if he wanted to produce us. I'd say, hey, you know, Joe Smith uh, said to say hi. Oh, I remember, Joe. We did this. And he'd tell me the exact same thing that they told me, even though to them it was a much more significant event. They were meeting the great Richard Lloyd. To him, it was, you know, often just some kid who was his admirer. He remembered everything. So his his memory really is uh, extraordinary.
0: He might be one of those people, and I've read books about this, that they can't forget. Like, I think Mary Lou Henner is actually one of these people. I was
1: just, I was just about to cite her. Yeah. You, you just mentioned. She <laughs> supposedly, like, remembers every single day of her life. Yeah, and can, and it's, a, it's a it's a curse.
0: Yeah, you can throw out any day. Like, what happened? May 14th, 1980. And she'll, boom, she'll know exactly what happened. And yeah. I, God, that would that would be horrible. There, there's so many things Imagine in my life like I want the, to forget. The, the
1: bad days, right? Yeah. Like, would you just be reliving the, you know, that's the, that time I said something really stupid to this person I love. Yeah. You'd just be reliving it over and over in a in a loop.
0: Yeah, exactly. I that you know a lot of people think that would be amazing. You'd never forget anything. It, like, I God, there's so many things. I'm glad I don't remember.
1: You know what, Mark? That there's there's analogies to to pop music there though, because like a lot of the songs on uh, the lilacs only only did one full length album, the lilacs rise above the filth. Right. And a lot of my songs on there are about this very tough breakup I, I went through in may of 1991 and you know the, I, i'd say the closest thing we ever had to a hit was our, our song hop in the stands about my car a nissan stanza that yes i, I was but,
0: watching the video sorry. today
1: <laughs> it played a big role in the, in the breakup and you know having to play that at every lilacs gig for the next you know however many years it kind of does put it it's that same loop it's like now oh crap i gotta you know because now I'm, i i i love and admire that that person who i broke up with you know yeah. it's all good terms so you have to sort of replay these unfortunate incidents over and over and over so uh-huh. it is a little bit like uh, a memory loop
0: I never thought of it like that. So you, you pour your heart and soul into creating this song or an, even an entire album. It connects with people. And, and now you have to relive it every, every time you're on stage because everybody yeah. wants to hear that song or the, that. Right. The track yeah, the you got
1: to sing it with real passion, too, yeah. you know, um, be, or especially if it's a, you know, a heavy, emotional song.
0: No, um, I so never thought of it that way. You're mentioning that one full length and three EPs. What caused the disillusion of the the lilacs back in what ninety two three?
1: We, no, it was a fall of ninety three at our at our very peak. We had all these you know headlining shows booked all over the Midwest. Uh, it, it's really simple. I I had to get out of Chicago. I it was time to I had to, I wanted to get out of music. I wanted to get out of Chicago. I wanted to get out of college. Everything. I just you know, pulled the ripcord, so to speak. I wanted okay. to move to New York and become a writer. And I felt like, God, if I don't do this, like literally right this minute, I'm never going to do it. So I packed up, uh, this crappy car that I had, this, you know, Stanza? Uh, by then it was, a, <laughs> uh, it was a Honda Accord, a, a terrible manual one that, uh, you know, was like 20 years old and, uh-huh. I had about a thousand Chicago parking tickets on it. I I packed up this, uh, I packed up this car with just, you know, literally a couple of hefty bags of clothes. Um, I asked my, my best friend to sell all my guitars back in Chicago and send me whatever he got for him. And I, I drove all night to, to, uh, be with my girlfriend in New York and, uh, you know, basically never, never looked back. I've I've lived in New York ever since.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I, I, I I've often wondered if I would have the stones to do something like that. And I'm not at this point. No. Cause I'm married. I got three teenage kids and they're all in high school and getting ready for college. And it's, it, there's no way I could do it. But I mean, not tech. I mean, I, I did it. I, le- I lived in Alabama for, for years and that's where I met my wife. All the kids were born there. And the job market where I was, was, was total trash. It was, it was, there's no opportunity. So, we found a job back up here in Virginia and moved everybody back up without knowing anybody or anything. But you know, just just a, a complete change. It was still, I, I went from one sales job to another, so it was more. There was an opportunity there. It wasn't a uh, you know what. I'm I'm just cutting ties and I'm going and I'm pursuing this dream that I've got. So I that's that's I'm very. I admire you a lot for that. Is what I'm trying to say that's 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 amazing.
1: Well, I so appreciate you saying that, but I don't really even know how admirable anything I did was. Um, I I I felt like I was suffocating, like I I had to do it. It was, you know, I I don't know that I can honestly look you in the eye, and I'm glad we're on video uh, <laughs> because I I don't I don't think I did anything heroic. I, th- I think I it was just like a save myself type moment. But I do want to follow up on something you said because we're on this podcast which is that i re-listened to uh shit town um uh which is totally set in alabama and i think it really is like as good as the original serial it it, it is such a at least as a portrait of a a character the 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 main guy is being portrayed in that podcast is so interesting um yes that uh (laughs) you know um, I, I I love Alabama and I've been there uh, many times. So that was actually a, a a state where green was popular, so we stayed there oh, a few cool. weeks. And yeah, um, and I had a a friend who was imprisoned in, uh near Montgomery, so I, I oh, wow. came to visit him a few times. Um, and that that podcast uh, is is really special.
0: So. Yeah, and and I, I've listened. I haven't honestly. I haven't finished it yet. It, it's one of those I started listening to and then something i don't remember what happened and because i started to listen to it recently actually um yep. I, I listened to all of serial and then they started this second season of that or second story line in it because you know and then right. it that came up as a suggestion and i started listening to it and i haven't gotten all the way through it yet but
1: it's it's, it's very compelling and there's even sort of a uh a a twist uh, toward the end. I don't, I, I can't think of a good way to do it without spoiling yeah. it. But if, 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 if anyone uh, is um, needing a, a break from performance anxiety, although why would you, I've, I've been enjoying listening to it all day. So um, Thank you. I, I really recommend uh shit town. I, I, I think it's, it's a great one.
0: It's uh, it's definitely a, a more serious topic. And I, I, I love Alabama. I, you know, I lived there for eight, nine years. My wife was born and raised there. And everybody that I know, there, my, my, uh, my brother graduated from the University of Alabama, um, still have a ton of family and friends down there. There was just no work. If, I mean, yeah. and it's hot as shit down there. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, it would seem pretty inhospitable uh, to a certain kind of I'll, like sort of knowledge worker.
0: Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I, in my, my first sales job. Down there after I had, you know, leaving photography, my wife finding out we're having our first child and then needing a job with some insurance and all that. I, I got an a insurance sales job and I was going door to door during the day trying to sell insurance. And <laughs> Southeast Alabama. <laughs> who, oh, dude. Southeast Alabama. It's rough. Who is at home during the day? <laughs> People who don't qualify for insurance. So, yeah not
1: not insurance
0: buyers. no though. so so I it was a rough job and I would go out in my to my car and it was maybe a 15 to 20 foot walk from my front door to my car and by the time I got to the, my car door I was already sweating it was just <laughs> so hot and humid I was way we down way down south in in the uh southeast corner of, of the state down near Dothan uh, right off of Fort Rucker and it was just hot. I've never, it, it's just an, it's like you you live in a bowl of warm pea soup. Yeah. Well, uh,
1: you know, if there's a certain type of person who really loves that. And I mean, you know, I, I, I got to put on drive by truckers uh, oh, yeah. on a pretty regular basis. And Love those I, I really think that, uh, you know, there's no, without that heat, the exact weather you're describing, there might not be a Jason Isbell. So, um, oh, yeah. You know, or, I, I mean,
0: and it's funny because I, I didn't even really get into the drive-by truckers until after I left the state. But listening to it, that's the sound of Alabama. That's what Alabama yes, sounds exactly.
1: like. exactly. It's just what it feels like. That's what, that's really well put, Mark.
0: It is amazing. So, so all right. So the band dissolves and you start writing. Yeah. Twenty-five years go by, and you guys decide to get back together. What? How did that ha- all happen?
1: Yeah, I want to tell you that story and share it with your listeners um because I I I wish I had sort of heard this story, you know, 10 years earlier than than I lived it. Um so in 2015, uh I got divorced after 19 years of marriage and you know, a uh, a warm, happy marriage with three great kids during, you know, probably 17 or 18 of those years and then things just went to shit really fast and uh, in, in working through it, first through marriage counseling and then, uh, you know, through continued counseling on my own, I started to realize that I, I had fallen into some really bad ruts. Um, and, I you know, I, try, I took a hard look at myself and said, okay, you're not – things aren't working. My my career, my professional life was off the charts. I had achieved all of my goals. I was the editor-in-chief of a newspaper in Manhattan, which, you know, to me was like the pinnacle of what I what I came out there to do. But uh, I let my personal relationships um, atrophy. And so one of, my, one of my goals was to start saying yes to things I had said no to and okay. also no to a few things I had said yes to. So from time to time over the course of 20 years or so in, in New York, uh, I get asked uh, mostly in Chicago where I'm from, but all, you know, all over the country, hey, why don't you put the band back together and do a reunion show? Um, or, wow, it's the 15th anniversary of this. Why don't you come out and do a, uh, uh, you know, a reunion show? And I always said no, reflexively. And all of a sudden, in uh, sort of late 2016, this guy, uh, I had a reason to talk to Joe Shanahan, who runs uh, Chicago's uh, biggest and best rock club, the Cabaret Metro. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, you know, I always love that Lilacs record. I always kept it on my, my uh, table here. Um, sometimes people still ask about it. You ever think about getting back together? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> you know? Um, so it was, it was the most pathetic kind of like self-help, uh, you know, reaction.
0: Stuart Smalley but kind of thing.
1: Exactly. exactly <laughs> like, uh, Stuart Smalley. Um, and, uh, it's funny to mention that because I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about, um, yeah, well, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> I, I call, I said, I said to Joe, I'm only going to do this. If on two conditions, one, all the original guys want to do it. I don't want it to be, you know, Ken Curson and, you know, three schmoes. Who I don't really know. And right. two, I will only do it if we can be good. I, I I don't want, I had just recently seen sticks and foreigner and, you know, and they're all like pretty old yeah. and sticks was awesome. They, they sounded really good. They, they sort of had a, a fake Dennis DeYoung and he was always kind of the most annoying member of that band anyway. So, oh, I agree. um, but then Foreigner was terrible. Uh, really? Just awful. Going through the motions. All the... It was all fake guys except for um, for Mick Jones. And Mick was really sort of enfeebled by that point. Um jeez oh, And uh, I, I thought, you know, better to burn out than to fade away. Like, if if, if I can do this and be more like uh, Sticks or like the Rolling Stones I saw Monday night who were great, I'll do it. If it's more like you know the who, where they have to sort of stand in these isolation chambers, and um, or a foreigner, where they were just terrible. I, I don't want to do it. So right. I talked to the guys. Everyone was uh, as enthusiastic for the, for their own personal reasons. Um, you know, it fit into everyone's life. And so we got together, we practiced, we sounded pretty damn good, and then we played this show, and it was amazing. It, w- it went great. The fans were great. Um, there was even a few new fans and you know, seeing some of the guys, kids, kids in the audience was, was a treat for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember at that show, all three of the other lilacs had their kids there, their spouse there, and their parents there, all three of them. And, oh, wow. uh, my parents are dead. I had no spouse, my oh, kids no. didn't and my kids didn't make it. They're back in New Jersey. Oh. And I thought, Oh man, the rock and roll life, you know, yeah. but, um, but that's where there's a there's a nice story. Now, i now I'm married again and uh you know my kids are really into coming to see the band when we have stuff to do. So, and my ex-wife even comes to the show sometimes. So, oh wow. Um, uh, you know, everything's coming come around and I think that uh for you know, I don't know you well enough to be giving you psychological <laughs> advice, but uh, I certainly don't know your <laughs> listeners, but I, I do think I've I've tried really hard uh to to keep up to keep saying yes to things that I had said no to. Um, and it's it's working out for me beautifully.
0: That's that's a great story. I, I'm so glad to hear that. It's funny. My parents have been divorced longer than they were married, and they still can't talk to each other. So it's, <laughs> right.
1: it, and I mean, for what, right? And for it, what reason? It, Who wins? Insane.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're both with different people now. They, they both have their own different lives. I tell you, I have two siblings. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And we're all married, and the... The weddings were the most awkward things on the planet. It was just trying to keep my parents separated was half, half of the, and they don't actively go and try to fight with each other, but you know, there's always something going on. They, they just can't stand to be in the same room with each other. So, so I'm glad to hear that it, that it works out for some people sometimes. That's nice you, know, to hear.
1: you know, it's, it's interesting that you said that about your younger siblings, because uh I, I have three kids. Uh, well, I have five now that um, we're married. But so my sort of three, you know, um, one of them, the, the middle one had her bat mitzvah right after we got divorced. And that okay. was very awkward and very tough. Oh, uh, imagine. You know, my, my ex-wife and I, I basically she planned everything and uh, she did all the work. But, but it was very hard for us to be on the same page. But two years later, when our youngest daughter had her bat mitzvah, we were totally on the same page. We planned everything together. In fact, my, wow. my, my current wife and my ex-wife were totally in charge of everything. We all got along great. Everyone was kind to each other. Even my ex-mother-in-law sort of gave me a hug when I saw her. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a, a shocker. Um, you know, <laughs> naturally, I, I checked for anthrax spores which yeah. <laughs> she might, might have placed on my shoulder. But um, uh, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah, you're and, still here. That's good. <laughs> So you know, I I I don't know your parents, obviously, Mark, but I I, I really just I don't see the point. Uh, I I just I don't see who wins, and I'm I'm a politics guy and a strategic guy, and if there's not a winner, then you're probably the loser. Yeah, you know?
0: that you're so right, and it's it's something we brought up to them too, and and it's getting better over the past Good. probably, and it's it's taken this long probably only two to three years. It's gotten a little bit better, and they, like oh. I said, they've been they've been divorced longer than they've been married than they were married. So yeah. it, it's just insane. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and I I say that a lot because every, every time I think of something, that's apparently the phrase that comes out of my mouth. But I wanted to know. <laughs> you're like Colombo. Just one hey, more thing. Hey, one more thing. Um, what's you were you you recording in the late eighties, early nineties, and then in 2018-2019 what's been the what's the biggest difference that you've seen in in recording and and, and releasing music in in from the 90s to the teens, i guess
1: well you know the the recording i mean the technology is is just uh, it like every other piece of technology and every th- every single other way um it's it's uh it's it's night and day um how perfect, almost uh, annoyingly perfect um, things can be on, on Pro Tools. We were looking for these guitar sounds and, you know, every single pedal, uh, guitar pedal effect that you could possibly imagine is, is just, you know, a a keyboard click away. I remember going to all these different music stores and trying to find that exact old MXR that had the the sound before some other company bought it. It was ridiculous. Now, Every pedal that's ever been invented is, is stored in, you know, someone's brain. And every take, you know, on, on, on what's gonna be the single off this record, which is called Monica Um, there's this really good bass fill that uh our bass player sort of forgot to do in the third time through the chorus. And it was like way after we had, you know, sort of put our instruments away and every nothing was mic'd anymore. And I'm like, Oh man, now we have to reset up. And he's like, No, I'm just gonna grab it from the earlier one. I'm like, What? You can do that? Yeah. And it literally took you know two seconds. That would have been a, a physical splicing thing with you know, razor blades and tape and, tape and uh. stuff. So that that technology is is vastly improved, mostly to the good, but not always. Uh, at the, you know, we recorded in Nashville at uh, Studio 19, which had been founded by Scotty Moore, uh, you know, Elvis's right. guitar player. So, this is a very legendary place to be with a lot of analog equipment. But right across the hall from us, um, you know, a hip hop artist was was recording. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, this was, the guy just sounded horrible. Uh, like his, he, he, you know, his, his, his rhymes were really inventive and his writing was excellent. But like he, he could, he, his, his meter was terrible, but they, they used, you know, the auto tune to, to such a yeah. uh, obnoxious effect that uh, it, it, to me, it wasn't an improvement. The, the oh, technology wow. didn't, didn't help. Uh, as far as the releasing of, of the records, um, that's that's totally new. I mean, you know, the, the, we're we're actually putting this is coming out on a physical CD, so people will be able to experience it in you know the old-fashioned way of, of buying something that's and the way play. I do it. You know, even though CD is obviously that itself is, is newish technology compared to you know uh, most of recorded music history.
2: Right, but right.
1: It's it's really the streaming that has has completely. Altered uh how you got to think about music and and the music business and music sales it's it's just a completely different
0: world but it, so, it 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 actually kind of works with your history since a lot of your releases were singles or eps
1: yeah so kind no, of we always were built well. around hit singles and trying to you know trying to make songs that that were popular on their own um,
0: I was just talking to the other day with somebody um God, I don't even remember who it was now about how the industry has changed. It's, it's going back to what it was in the, like the fifties where artists were just releasing singles and LPs weren't a concern. Now it's, it's, it's kind of going back to the same, you know, people are just writing a song, recording it in, you know, in their house using pro tools to make it sound professional and then releasing it in a week.
1: Yep. No, it, 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 that's true. And I don't know that that's a, a great thing, but if the song's great, I'm so happy to have yeah. it. You know, um, I just, I just was hearing some live music, uh, a week and a half ago, I guess I, I was in a club in Chicago and I was visiting. Um, you know, I, I actually, uh, wrote and directed a, a short documentary that, that just came out. So we're premiering oh. it in a few cities around the country. And, uh, so in, my brother hosted one of these premieres in Chicago so I was back in my hometown and took my wife out to one of, the, one of the bars that was my old stomping grounds. We heard a really great band called Imperial Sound, where I know uh, some of the guys in it. Okay. And uh, one of their songs was so – a lot of their songs, actually, but there's one in particular, a song called June, July, and August, was so catchy that the ability to hear it and then instantly on the way home get it on my iTunes and play it over a stereo in the car. It sounds great over Bluetooth. To me, that's that's a big improvement over trying to remember for you know the tune to something for six weeks and hope that you'll you'll recall it the next time you see the band and then wait another six months for them to record it. Yeah, so,
0: and then there hopefully are some improvements. And then hopefully the record store carries it. Yep. Otherwise, it needs back to mail order. If yep. you can remember everything. What was the atmosphere like at Studio 19? I mean, that that's a a legendary place. I mean, you know, Scotty Moore. I mean.
1: Uh, I thought the atmosphere was really great. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm sensitive to my environment and can can kind of perceive, you know, uh, the, the word in Hebrew is neshama, you know, the, okay. the, the soul of a place. Oh, okay, um, okay. But that's that's probably BS, because toward the end of our recording there, <laughs> when I was totally soaking up this experience. The guy said, yeah, it, this isn't really the, the, the same physical place as it was when Scotty Morrow did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> it I'm, I'm ah. like, oh, I thought I saw his ghost. you know. <laughs> um, so it's probably BS. But I will tell you, it's a, it's a great sounding room. I mean, the main room there, it's a very live open room. And yet it's, it's, it's covered in wood. So you get this really nice soaked, um, you know, overtones. So our, our drummer is just this. Unbelievably hard-hitting guy. His nickname is the Freight Train. Oh, yes. And um, when you could really hear the wood of drums in a in a room, uh, it's, it's very special to me. That, that's when I, I feel like a room really makes a difference.
0: Were the four songs on the EP all new tracks, or did you go back into the old uh, database and, and pull out some old ideas that you'd been working on?
1: Uh, exactly half. Um oh. So. The, the, the hit Monica, their single, I should say, um, is, is an old song that I, I wrote in 1993 and, but we never had a chance to record it. Uh, another band called the returnables, uh, did record it on, on, on album. And it, it became something of a signature song for them. Oh, cool. Um, but the lilacs never had a chance to record it. So I always want to record it and it came out great. And then, uh, we have a ballad on there called blue spark by I David Levinsky. Uh, yeah, that's no, a great song. Um, and that was also from, from the old days, although we update, updated this, this crazy wild keyboard player showed up at the session and we just had him go nuts on an organ solo on it. Um, and then we have two new songs, one by me called I Saw Her First, first song I'd written in over 20 years, and one by David called Shadow of Doubt, um, which I think will be our next video. Um, oh, it's, cool. it's, a, it's a really visual song.
0: In the past, you described the the sound of the lilacs as a a CD remastering of organ grinder music.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's that's kind of what we're talking about here. (laughs) It's like, I like old stuff, um, you know, brought to you through uh, the wonders of modern technology. You know, like... And when we play live, we play real guitars going through tube amps, um, right. and it's oh. not because we're some sort of uh, hidebound traditionalist. It's it's more that that's just our aesthetic. But at the same time, I want the stuff to sound really crisp, and I don't I don't really I don't want to present the Lilacs as like a garage band with you know sort of self conscious fi. You
0: know, right, I really right. I
1: really want it to sound good.
0: Yeah, I mean, that can get obnoxious anyway. Yep. So, now, in the you've also cited when when you were I guess in the early 90s influences on the band were the band on bozo circus before it went to one guy and a synthesizer which i thought was (laughs) was a brilliant great response isaac hayes curtis mayfield sam and dave the stylistics the ink spots t-rex and masters of the obvious have you expanded on that in in the 25 years that you haven't been really playing music have there been any new influences that, that have come in
1: yeah, uh, tons. I, I'm a huge consumer of music, including new music. I, I'm definitely not someone who's like, well, nothing good has been recorded in yes. 20 years. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I love tons of bands. Uh, although I will say, I, I, I remember the quote that you're referring to where I listed those. I think it was in the Chicago Tribune. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm very proud of myself at age 22 or whatever <laughs> to have gotten the, the ink spots and the stylistics. I know. I was, good on me for, for remembering those guys.
0: Um, I, that almost hit me as hard as... The Bozo Circus part—that the comedy side of uh, of me really, really appreciated that one.
1: Yeah, you know, I didn't realize then that Bozo Circus, like when you're a kid growing up in Chicago, that's like the biggest thing in the world. I didn't realize that it's basically a regional TV show. That it, you know, if you say that to a New Yorker, <laughs> or my 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 wife who's British, um, they have no idea who you're talking about when you say Bozo.
0: Oh so. my gosh, I used to watch. I used to watch it. Uh, I guess it was on TBS when we because we got cable. In the, I don't know, mid-80s, late-80s. And that's how, I mean, my dad knew Bozo from, because I guess when they, he only had like three channels, that was one thing that was popular. I guess it was, uh, I'm trying to no, I was thinking Wilford Brimley, but he was Ronald McDonald. Um, But he would mention it to me. Then growing up, I would watch the, uh, the one on, I guess it was, TBS would play it, because it was one of the things my parents would actually let me watch was bozo circus sir.
1: yeah no i, I think it's because uh, it, it was on wgn not tbs and oh, wgn maybe. was an early super station.
0: okay maybe that's um, what it was yeah
1: yeah and in a in a incredibly bizarre coincidence so bozo was it, it just loomed so large like you you had the, the, the day your kid was born if you lived in chicago you'd send away for tickets because it took like seven years to get them that, oh my that's how God. popular it was so bozo was such a legend in an incredible coincidence our drummer uh John Valley his his girlfriend or wife is uh, is the daughter of the guy who played Bozo
0: <laughs> oh my god
1: I, I don't know how that happened Whoa. or why but it, it does come full circle
0: Bozo serendipity that's amazing <laughs> that is amazing yeah I will tell you that talking about the technology and all and the, and the sound I really do love the sound on your the older stuff and the new stuff I mean you, you've got a very gritty sound uh, even on uh, you know, the, the songs like like "Pointless."
2: Thanks
1: so much. You know that that I, I love that song. That's that's actually my very favorite Lilac song. Um, and we've been, we've been lucky to have really good producers throughout the the career of the Lilacs who have all gone on or, you know, had great associations in their past. So, uh, the first record was produced by Jim Ellison. We already talked about him, you know, songwriter with a lot of hits when had great success in his own bands. Then, uh, Brad Wood kind of took us under his wing. Brad went on to produce, uh, Liz fair and, uh, hundreds of other terrific artists. Oh Yeah. Um, he's a great musician as well, um, and then to work with uh, Richard Lloyd—you know, who's a legend and says no to most stuff—but um, you know, took this on because he, as he put it to me, he, he sort of he smelled a, a, a cars like potential, and he always felt that the cars were the co- hit commercial version that television should have been. So oh, okay. um, that, that's that's like such an honor to me. First of all, I love the cars, um, yeah. but secondly, that that he. You know, considered us in in the same breath uh, um, with television and the cars is is really meaningful to me. So, we've we've benefited from from great leadership from our producers, and I appreciate you you listening with such care.
0: Oh gosh, I, I love Pointless. It, it, it's to me, I start, I listened to it, and the first thing I thought of was that the song itself was actually a, several years ahead of its time because it starts off with an acoustic, almost like like a I don't want to say maybe Goo Goo Dolls, but something what would become popular in the mid-90s, like, like an Edwin McCain type of of acoustic riff, and then it just becomes like Soul Asylum Mud Honey.
1: Yeah, well, wow. That, I mean, that's that's huge praise. Dave, the the writer and singer of that song, is going to love hearing this on the podcast, so I, ho- <laughs> I hope this makes the final edit. That's oh, huge yeah. praise. And, you know, we used to sometimes play with this band called the, the Junk Monkeys were from detroit and were somehow very close friends with the goo goo dolls so that was wow. right about the era when goo goo dolls were this is sort of before they had hit singles with like you know boy named goo and uh name but they, yeah, they were starting about, to have these replacements sound, they? yeah they had like a, exactly they had a, i think their first hit was um there you are which sounded exactly like something from like tim era replacements
0: yeah yeah and
1: um, the lilacs definitely, you know, we on high alert when we heard them because it was like, wait a minute, this is a band that has some indie cred, but is clearly trying to write hit singles, and that's yep. that's what we were all about. So uh, I can't wait for Dave to hear this podcast actually <laughs> because he's he's going to love hearing that about Pointless.
0: Well, it's got, it's got a great fuzz tone on on the guitars, and most of the music does, and. Back then and now, did you use vintage equipment? And I, guess, you know, something brand new back then would now almost be considered vintage at this point. So
1: yeah, no, even then we were using what was then vintage, uh, partly out of, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, fetishizing old stuff and partly out of poverty. You know, we just used <laughs> our, our old stuff that we had. Um, so, but that, that was definitely a, a big value for us. So, so that's recorded. Guitar sounds there. But Dave's, uh, uh, les paul custom which uh you know is a, a semi hollow body which is a, a rare uh les paul um through uh oh, wow. you know fender twin amp uh tube deluxe reverb so um i i want to tell you a little bit about that record too since yeah. since you mentioned that song and i love that song um and that's that um uh we recently remastered it so uh, I, I told you brad wood had produced it um so I, it always bothered me that I didn't have a good uh, MP3 version of both that song, "Pointless," and the other side of that record, um, which the song is one of my songs called "Have I Told You?" which is the only song I ever wrote with this guy, Paul K. Okay. Um, we wrote it together, and he's a he's a legendary songwriter um, out of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, who's you know he's like one of those guys like Lou Reed, where he's not as famous as he should be, but tons of. People who, who did get famous were influenced by him. Right. So like the Afghan Whigs have covered his songs and lots of other. Bands. Oh, wow. So um, so Paul and I wrote the song, Have I Told You Together? And Dave wrote his masterpiece Pointless. And we put that out as a record. But somehow it was mastered horribly. Oh, really? And um, and then worse than that, my MP3 version of the Bad Master is like even worse. Oh, so my God. for 20 plus years, I've had this like crappy version of my very favorite Lilac songs. So uh, about six months ago, I called Brad. He lives in Los Angeles now where he's making a, uh, a good living as a producer. Um, I think he's working with Liz Farr again too, oh, wow. speaking of you know, bands getting nice. back together. Um, and I said, hey, can you dig out the you know the master of that? I'm, I'm actually thinking, you know, finally at age 50, I have a few <laughs> bucks. So, you know, <laughs> I'd like to hire you to remaster this thing because it's always bothered me. And he looked, and he had, like, every session, like, the you know, 200 sessions before it, 200 sessions after it. But somehow that day just didn't make it to visual audio tape. Oh, my god! So I just, I, you know, I felt so upset about it. So he actually, as a favor to me, he, he took the record, uh, you know, the physical 45, and, you know, using some pro tools and stuff, he beefed it up a little bit. But it wasn't that big of an improvement. Okay. And then he said to me. If you're still in touch with whoever, whatever label released that, they might have the digital audio tape, too, because I always made one for me and then gave one to the label. I'm like, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. still in touch with them. So I called the, the, the guy, uh, Jason Cohen from Dead Dog Records, and he, he had it. He had it like right there. And it's oh so God. ironic because he's moved wow. like probably 15 times since then. He's, he's a rock and roll journalist, wow. a, a, a great one, um, but he's lived all over the country. And I couldn't believe it. He found it in two seconds. Oh so we sent gosh. it to Brad. And then Brad, just as a, a, a favor to us, he's like, look, I'm, I'm an engineer and producer. I'm going to give this to LA's like best mastering guy. He does like real bands, you know, uh, <laughs> huge bands that have <laughs> platinum selling elms. And I just got this back. I'm telling you mark it's like it's like hearing a great band do our songs it's it's (laughs) night and day it's like we never sounded this powerful live or on record before it's it's really uh exciting to hear so uh i'm gonna actually send you that when i get a it's it's like a wave file now it's like you know 60 um it's it it, you know it's a giant file i can't email but um i'm gonna get one uh, and I'll email to you because uh, you're oh, a fan you of that song. I'll, I'll send you "Pointless."
0: Thank you very much. I, yeah, I loved it. I, it was. It's. Uh, I think out of the earlier stuff, it's probably my favorite song. It's. It. Oh, I love I, that. I really love it, and I'm really digging the new EP. And thank it, you. What I like is that the sound has matured a bit. You still have the 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 great fuzz out tones, and but it's matured. You still have a that the snarl from the earlier stuff but it's not as I don't want to say it's not as vicious it's just matured a bit. It's 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 like Iggy Pop with a little bit of Jeff Tweedy in there. <laughs>
1: and, <laughs> well those are two great comparisons. Thank you. I, um,
0: I I really I've been listening to it for several days now and it's it's I've I'm really been enjoying it. Well
1: uh, Mark that's music man
0: where can everybody find the new album? Because it, it, I'm gonna—it's coming out, I believe, the day I'm releasing this show. So on the 16th, where can people find the album or the EP? I
1: think starting August 16th, uh, the Lilacs Endure will be available on all streaming platforms. You know, so iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, um, and I also—we're uh, doing a—you know—physical release. I—I I don't know if uh, you know the record store business at this point, with so many places <laughs> closed. Is as efficient as it once was, but you know, hopefully, it can be ordered from again from Amazon. You can go to thereallilacs.com, or probably better yet, to go to uh, The Music um, and and find it. That's our, our record label, so they, they have a successful mail order business, um, and I'll get it out to you. You know, hopefully, it'll be as ubiquitous as a, a small four piece band from Chicago could make it.
0: That's fantastic, and thank you. I, I really appreciate you taking so much time with me, and I know I've kept you a while i really really like the album
1: thank you for the thoughtful oh. uh questions and the and the, the real the, your your edits of these shows are good too and, and oh, they're, they're pretty seamless
0: if somebody wants to come on i the least i can do is actually take the time to learn about what you guys do so. great
1: thank you